stupid. I think the conversation we could have would, is not going to be stupid, but I think the strip is like slightly stupid. I guess we'll see. Oh, you're recording. Well, hello. Welcome back to Check This Please, a podcast where we're rereading the webcomic Check Please to talk about it and think about it, but not necessarily do anything about it. Today we're talking about Shitty's Dibs, an extra comic that was posted on September 24th, 2015. I'm Secret, and who am I making do this for a second time? Hey, I'm Tomato! Hey, Tomato, I'm going to read the summary for the comic and uh, listeners, the little jingly noise you may be hearing is my cat playing with a Halloween cat toy that is shaped like an eyeball. Lardo and Shitty sit on the roof of the house eating gummy bears and Lardo complains that her roommates for senior year are going to be sexiling her all the time. Shitty offers her dibs on his room and gives her a speech about how she's as much a part of the team as anyone. Both crying, Lardo throws her arms around him and gummies go flying everywhere. This was a comic that was posted on September 24th, which is 10 days after Junior Show. So it's a very little, like, two-panel comic that just gives us a little bit of background on how Lardo got shitty's dibs. It's a pretty short and sweet little installment. And um, I think we'll have some things to say about it. The way that it sort of relates to Junior Show is interesting. The way that we get to it is typically the comic has a back button, a start button, and a next button. The back goes back one comic, the start brings you to the very first comic, and next brings you to the next comic, like most web comics. But Shitty's Dibs is in these little square brackets after next on Junior Show. So it isn't the next comic, and it is an extra, but unlike most of the other extras, it's incorporated into the overall textual frame. So it's just kind of like this interesting blip. Yeah, and there's a companion piece called Jack's Dibs, which we will also do, but that is posted later. So we'll get there after, you know, I don't know, the next three or four comics. The very first comment you made was, oh God, I forgot we were doing this, which I just really feel like brings a great frame to this whole thing. Um, The first comment I wanted to make was that in regards art school, it's true. Art undergrads are always extremely horny. It's the the wisdom, the, you know, it's correct. But isn't everyone horny? I mean, a lot of people are horny, but I think like art undergrads are notoriously incestuous in how their pools of friends sleep with each other. So I feel like this is, this is a Incisive commentary on the art undergrad world. I think this is just college. Maybe. I definitely knew some unhorny people in college. But not any unhorny artists. Tomato, when I was in um, college, my roommate brought back people so much. I walked in on her so many times. I bought a plunger for our toilet and she had sex with my plunger. <laughs> really? Yeah, really. 
I love her. She's one of my best friends. We used to take showers together. You know, we were just naked all the time. I guess she was a film student. I don't know what I was. And um, I think everyone is horny. I, who's not horny? Some people aren't horny. Listen, I will tell you, some majors less horny than other majors. Or maybe the horniness is just more repressed, so it comes out in different ways. All I'm trying to say is that, in my experience, people studying the arts, like, yeah, their horniness is on the outside as well as the inside. I suppose it's possible that that's true. That said, I think everyone is very horny. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I support that view of the world. All right. Maybe Um, I'm projecting. uh, I think we can definitely agree that uh, Lardo and Shitty are probably somewhat horny, but we can get to that later. I don't know how much of a critique this is, but I kind of want to open with how irritated I am that Lardo you know, the broiest of all bros cries in this as she also cries in Junior Show. Obviously, Shitty also cries. And then Biddy cries all the time in years three and four. So this is not a comic that like shies away from having men cry, except some men. But some men can cry. I don't know. Jack cries. Pars cries. Oh, Pars does cry. Okay, so yeah, so everybody cries in this comic. But I'm still kind of irritated by it in this particular strip because since everybody in the strip cries, the strip is not trying to make commentary on sort of women's emotions and hysterical women and so on and so forth. But since we don't get very much information about Lardo, we have almost no access to her interior experience. And then when we do see her have some kind of emotion, she responds in kind of like intense tears, which totally contradicts what we're supposed to know about her and her like bro-y burping ways something about that juxtaposition really frustrates me I think because it feels like it's not enough characterization for me to really understand what's going on or like how I'm supposed to understand Lardo and therefore it ends up feeling really flat so I think it would be difficult to say that this is in or out of character for her because we just don't have enough of a concept of how Lardo expresses emotion because she never does it. And the reason why she never does it is not because she's structured as a character who never expresses emotion. It's because she's never in the comic and she's never doing anything that would like cause her to have emotions. Like nothing up to this point has really happened to her in the comic. So it's just hard to say like what a typical or an atypical reaction would be for her. Right. And that contributes to that feeling that she's less of a character than other people in the comic. I don't know. I I find it frustrating. I have a question for you as someone who thinks a lot about art. Like, what do you think might be another effective way of showing people in the comic form, you know, having intense emotion besides crying? Since that seems to be one of the go-to emotional tells in in the comic, you know, throughout. I think Ngozi is really productive when she has dialogue and visual action that contradict each other. 
I think that that often sets up a kind of tell. I think that she is very good at drawing facial expressions that are expressing emotion, but it's difficult to definitively say what that emotion is. She has a lot of panels where people are reacting in a way where it's tough to tell. Interestingly, in that strip where Parse is walking out of the party crying, that's from a flashback in early year three. In another panel is like clenching his fist. Other, let's see, other things you can do. You can make choices about the background and the setting. For example, oftentimes when Jack and Biddy are having certain moments or you're supposed to get certain like emotional gestures or like reads from them you're supposed to sense like a particular kind of affect uh color is part of how she does it like they'll be on a sort of like warm yellow background or a blue background or some kind of like color field that sort of like influences how you're supposed to read the moment You can drain the background away and only use color. You can play with lighting, squiggly lines around people to indicate that they're nervous or they're anxious or something like that. And then like with comics, you can do all sorts of like flop sweat or give people like little pops of things. I'm not like super well versed in like what all these like little squigglies or little like bursts of lines or like markings are that, you know, appear around characters like faces or kind of like floating above their heads, like stink lines and things to kind of like, you know, indicate that like they're having emotional reactions or that like, uh, you know, there's some sort of like energy surrounding them. There's a lot you can do that doesn't even necessarily pertain directly to character expressions or like character actions. It's everything else that's going on that sets up like what the emotion in the strip is. You have to be able to read like a lot of things. What's so weird about this particular strip is that like don't really see her face after this it's blocked out in let's see the the panel where she starts to sniffle and he starts saying like oh no don't start crying and like the background there is pink but it's kind of hard to know like what's going on because her face isn't drawn and then the panel like below that She is crying, but she's, like, wiping her tears away. So you can sort of see that she's, like, shaking because there's, like, little, you know, sort of, like, hash mark lines around her arm. So you can kind of get that she's, like, sort of shaking and also, like, wiping wiping tears away from her face. But her face is mostly hidden. And then she and Shitty are embracing. And her um, head, I think, is, like buried in his shoulder maybe although that panel is kind of indeterminate it's a it's a weird choice isn't it to show her her emotional reaction like this where yeah she starts crying 
but it's all kind of like covered up and hidden and obscured as if maybe she's like also not comfortable with the fact that she's starting to cry. But so like, let's say if you go back to, uh, if you go back to junior show, the second to last panel, it's on this sort of like salmon or like rosy colored field and everybody else, all the background in the gallery disappears and is drained of anything but the hockey team. And they're all huddled together. And you can kind of see the way that they're pressing into each other. Their faces are hidden, but you can kind of see like the way that like Ransom's hand is making a kind of like all right gesture. And there's these like white lines that are kind of like both drawing attention to the cluster of people and also like kind of representing that like the joy and exuberance is like radiating out from this group of people. And then also you have Chowder trying to like fling himself into the huddle. It's interesting. You kind of see what the emotion you're supposed to get is out of this group of people without really seeing any of their faces, without seeing anything else that's going on in the room. And with only like, I think it's 14 just sort of like lines communicating the energy around this group of people. So there's lots of things you can do to show emotion. It's constructing emotion using all of the other like options that are available to you as a comics artist. You can you can change like the shape of the speech bubbles or like the weight of the text. That's what makes comics such an appealing medium where she's sniffing and she says shitty. It's like you can sort of you can sort of tell because of the way that like the tail on the speech bubble is a little uh, looks a little spermy is what I was going to say. But it's uh, I don't know. It looks like drizzly or it looks a little like. You know, she, you can tell based on like the weight and the fact that it's unlined and the fact that it's small, that it's like this minute little like shitty or something. And then in the next panel, there's a giant, ah, and it's in like a big, like pointy speech bubble and everything is in caps and it's underlined. And there's uh, two exclamation points. Everything in the comic matters because it's all constructing how emotions are supposed to be read. I'm not sure what argument I'm making, but I am trying to answer your question. I mean, I do think that emotion is being constructed here effectively. Like I really like... I was about to say, I really like Shardo and Woody. So that didn't work. I really like Shitty and Lardo. Um, I really like both of them. You know, I think you do too. And I really enjoy what I get from their relationship from this panel, but I'm also frustrated by it. So I was trying to understand like why I'm frustrated by it. Definitely part of why I'm frustrated is also that, okay, this is like kind of silly, but at the first panel, Lardo is eating gummy bears. They're eating gummy bears together. And she says, okay, I ate all the gross pink ones for you. Something about that moment is like, okay, it's a sign of their deep and sincere friendship. But on the other hand, this is also Lardo doing like thankless gummy bear labor for shitty, you know, taking all the ones that he doesn't like. And maybe she likes them. I mean, I mean, I assume that we're supposed to understand this as a funny, but also sort of 
like real unpacking of their dynamic. I think that would be really interesting, but given the rest of the strip, I, I don't think it is. So instead I just end up really irritated about like the work that Lardo is doing, even in this moment for shitty. And I don't think I would be as frustrated by it if again, Lardo was a character with her own arc and kind of agency within the story, but because she's not, this detail ceases to be like a funny sort of look at their friendship and instead makes me really annoyed that she's like, not only does she do this work for all these hockey dudes, but also she's eating all the gummy bears shitty doesn't like. Well, her only arc is that she ends up dating Shitty. I guess, arguably, if you wanted to, like, take all of the extras into account, you could maybe say that her arc is that she becomes, like, a commercially successful artist, question mark? But there's nothing about that, like, in the comic. The closest thing you get to, like a point A to a point B for her is that she has a crush on Shitty and she's sad that he's leaving, but then they end up getting together. And that's kind of it. I really hate that they say waterworks instead of crying, as in like, as a verb, like if you start waterworks, like all waterworks, nobody talks like this. It is such a bald affectation that I don't think anybody in real life would talk like that. I spend a lot of time around artsy people and I've spent a lot of time around like hipsters. Like I think I've mentioned before that I know like a lot of shitties, like I'm a shitty to a certain extent. When I was in high school, the really, really, really cool thing that everybody did was speak in a kind of slang language of a breebs. So like, instead of saying that things or people were sketchy, people would say they were sketch and so on and so forth. Or instead of saying that you were going to Walgreens, you would say you were going to WAGS. This Wags. so happened in my late high school, early college, and I completely forgot about it until this moment. So thank you for bringing it back. Although no one said wags. Well, I think that's a Chicago thing because Walgreens is a Chicago company and, and wags, W-A-G-S, is the, uh, that's the, the stock abbreviation for, for Walgreens, the corporation. And I think in, I don't know, like they were never open during my lifetime, but I think in the sort of like mid-century, like Walgreens had uh, sort of like soda counters in them and they were called Wags Cafes. So I think that's how like Wags kind of like filtered down. Although I haven't heard anyone say it for many, many years. Maybe I'll try to, I'll try, oh, people, something people used to say was fellatio. But what you may or may not be getting out of this is that, yes, this is all like gross affectations, but they're all gross affectations that are like shortening the word and making them easier to say. It's not coming up with a completely unrelated word that is harder to say, which is what happens when you call crying waterworks i think part of the reason that's ineffective as well is because like to turn on the waterworks is already a phrase so it's also not 
it's just like a strange adaptation of a phrase that already exists and using it in a way that I that doesn't seem natural. But in a context where we're supposed to just like accept everything as natural, you know. And the thing is like with the with the hockey team and all of the things that they do and the way that they talk and the way that they the way that they make up like dumb stupid nicknames and abbreviate things and say things like in stupid ways i'm not a hockey player and i don't actually in real life know any like hockey players so for all i know they actually talk like this artsy people it just doesn't feel totally naturalistic it feels like an author trying to communicate a certain kind of character affectation that is artificial and i've noticed this a lot in in check please where it's like especially with shitty he talks in ways that like nobody would talk the way he talks is how a character would talk if you wanted him to talk like a sort of consciously cool hipster figure and then i guess the only other thing i have to kind of add to this sort of discussion about like their conversation in this sense is that Ngozi has commented that Lardo is extremely chill, but it's an extreme chill that like masks a kind of like vulnerable interior. And I think in this context, she has compared that kind of behavior to Nursi and also to Parse. And even though Pars is a major figure within the comic, he's not on screen very often. And yet, yes, that seems completely, completely clear in his one appearance. With Nursey, it also seems very clear, even though he's a significantly less important character who's nevertheless, you know, glanced in the background, not infrequently. It's, it's very obvious with him too, because he's constantly saying chill, but even in that like first appearance where he's like saying chill and he's like sitting on that pile of leaves or whatever, it obviously seems like a performance. With Lardo, it's like, how would you know? There's never enough focus on her to like dig into what's actually under the surface. It's important to think about the fact that Lardo is the manager of the hockey team. And to me, there's kind of like two ways to interpret the meaning of a female manager for an all-male sports team. I think you can read it either way. The first is that there's a woman in power who's making the major decisions and contributing to a culture that was not so long ago reserved exclusively for men. So it's somebody who's like making money off of men's labor effectively and like displacing a man who otherwise would have been in the job. And like, yeah, managers have a huge amount of power over the hockey team, maybe less so in uh, D1 or whatever, where she's not like making decisions about how to like trade people necessarily. It seems like she's more sort of like dealing with operations, but still. 
I think another reading is that a woman is lending administrative labor so that men performing a more highly valued job are able to do it as easily as possible. At various levels, both of these can be true, but it's interesting that what Lardo is doing here with being like, okay, I, I ate the gross pink gummy bears for you. Yeah, you can you can view it you can view it sort of like as as one of two things if you want to relate it to like what she does for the hockey team generally. Either what she's doing is she's like taking care of the situation and being like proactive in a way that shitty isn't, or she's just like making it easier for shitty to eat gummy bears. I mean, I do think it's both. I think your point that both are can be true at once is really important because it, it isn't just one or the other. And that's part of the bind of like talking about womanhood or talking about women characters is that like you can't divorce this from sort of the context of the power dynamics or the potential power dynamics in, in her relationship with Shitty, her relationship with the hockey team, whatever. The gummy bears are just gummy bears, whatever, but they are both of those scenarios at once. And because we don't have a lot of Lardo, it's hard to tell and it's hard to read into that situation to, to kind of like appreciate the things about her that are about her having power. Like she really doesn't have any power in the whole series. Even if she is the manager, all we understand that to mean for her is like organizing the frogs coming and holding a clipboard sometimes, you know? And even the strip that's about her junior show, which we looked at last time is not really about her. It's about shitty. So it's this, it's this weird thing where she both like is supposed to be this cool, this cool girl, right? Who kind of like has all this power and agency, but over and over again, the strip doesn't actually grant it to her. And so we're, and we end up in this weird space where she both has power and doesn't, and is a fictional character. So no, she doesn't really have any power, but you get what I mean. This I think becomes a little bit more important when we start talking about George and what it means that a woman and or a minority figure is the person who's like, in this position on a team where the stakes are much higher and the power holds a lot more weight. But still, I mean, it's interesting that Lardo has this position because you can look at it as somebody who is active and proactive and making decisions and everybody else is dependent upon her. Or you can look at it basically as like she's doing labor for these guys because it would be beneath them to do the labor for themselves. Like they couldn't organize their own equipment or book their own hotel rooms or eat their own gummy bears. Because of the tone, we also don't know, like, is does Lardo also think they're gross? Like, I don't know. I assume not since she ate them, but maybe. And I guess that's also part of that narrative. Pink gummy bears are not super common, Tomato. Um, this is where I want to mention that you can get pink gummy bears from my favorite brand of gummy candy, Albanese. However, yeah, like your standard bag of gummy bears is usually like yellow, clear orange, green, and red. And by the way, green is strawberry. Really? Yes. Whoa. Wait, I don't know that I've ever had Albanese gummy bears, but now you've inspired in me a desire to seek them out. 
Oh, I mean, the Albanese gummy bears have pink. It's like they have like 12 colors or something. And there's like purple and turquoise and pink and like all these other all these other colors and flavors. But um, when it comes to Albanese gummy candies, I actually prefer the butterflies. This has nothing to do with this comic. But I thought it was interesting that she mentioned pink gummy bears because the typical bag of gummy bears that you would buy like at the grocery store don't have pink in them. I like red pink. That's my favorite like of any of any candy that comes in colors like red and pink are the best ones. I do not fully agree with you, but I respect your opinion and I I understand it. That's okay. I guess my final point on like this kind of like the the what about lardo points is that she actually looks like much less potentially queer here than she has in other appearances. I do think this kind of starts with like junior show where you can see, I mean, in, in that strip, she's wearing obviously like a dress and a necklace. So she's kind of femming it up a little, but basically she's been like growing her hair out. And I guess this comic is taking place like, I don't know, it's gotta be like spring, summer, something like that. Cause she's in shorts and shitty's got his, shirt open but uh yeah she's grown her hair out and it seems like i don't know like her makeup looks kind of like more refined like she's working on a kind of like cat eyes seemingly i think and just something something about her here reads a little bit less like distinctly like is she also she has on pink nail polish yeah, I was going to point out her nail polish. A couple different shots of, like, her hands, like, close-ups on her hands. So, like, you really notice that she has that nail polish. She's still wearing sort of, like, tube socks and shorts, so it's not like she's still wearing a dress as she was in junior show. Even her body language or something, I don't know. She just she just does not seem nearly as um, immediately readable as queer. I have no idea what Ngozi wants people to read her as. I don't know if it's just like this tradition of the chop that was introduced and then Ngozi got tired of drawing her hair short and wanted to draw someone with long hair because everybody else in the comic has short hair. I can certainly read into it in like uncharitable ways, which are like queer experimentation is a childish thing. And now it is time to put away childish things as Lardo goes into the end of her college career and gets her MRS with shitty, right? Like there are like uncharitable readings, I think, but I don't think that's what's meant to be there. Over the course of the comic, everyone grows up and as Lardo grows up, she seems less queer. So what does that mean? I have a little bit less of a like strong feeling that she was certainly meant to be read as queer. I'm not totally sure that was like a deliberate choice. I want to come on the record and agree. Like, I, I don't know that it was deliberate either, although I understand how people saw it. And I myself see it. I think it was more like, this is how art students dress than this is what a queer woman looks like. Certainly there's nothing in the comic that like contradicts it. And if you've read my famous famous post about Lardo being queer or not, then um, perhaps you've seen that in the chirp book, 
there seems to be a little bit of a hint that maybe she's into women, maybe. But it's like, that is so late in the game and also disconnected from what's actually happening in the comic that it's hard to give it a lot of weight. And it feels more like a sort of acknowledgement of how fans have read her than like proof of something that was intentional. Sexuality is a whole spectrum. I don't know, liking exclusively men or exclusively women, however you want to define that, is like only two out of like many, many options. So there's no way to say this, I think, without like sounding basically like an asshole. But I think the point that we've made like a couple of times about things in this comic are like, it's a weird choice if you want to communicate that she is queer to make the one deepest relationship she has be a romantic one with an explicitly straight man. Straight and cis as well. Like, especially since there's like dialogue in this little comic that's about like, you know, how all these people are sleeping together and like her roommates are all you know sexiling each other and like it would be very easy to just kind of like throw in some dialogue here about like she doesn't want to get dragged into that mess again or something like that that could just kind of like hint at like you know she's part of this larger sort of like sexual dynamics and she just you know she's just like over it and doesn't want to be involved in it or whatever or something like that there's like lots of ways you could kind of like you know make a couple of very incidental like dialogue changes and and make it sound a little bit more intentional but every choice that's made about this character is basically just like emphasizing that she's into shitty which as we've said many times doesn't mean she can't be read as queer and doesn't mean she wasn't necessarily intended to be queer it's just not an effective way of communicating that yeah, that's the that's the critique. There isn't anything in the comic that explicitly um, josses it either. So all the meta and all the like interesting fan works that play on this theory, I think are totally cool and definitely sort of like fit neatly into canon. But I think when you step back and kind of ask like, what is this trying to do? It's maybe a different answer. Do we find out anything about shitty here? Like, is there anything new about this character? Other than that, it uh, bears repeating that in this one, like, two-page comic, way more interaction than he's had with his best friend, Jack Zimmerman, up to this point. Yeah, uh, it's also more interaction than he's had with Lardo, his love interest, for most of the comic. So that's fine. I don't know. He uses the word waterworks as a verb. I do I do guess we learn about their relationship because he says in, in the sort of last page, first this, second this, third, you're one of the best teammates I've ever had. So he considers her a teammate and he really considers their relationship deeply important. So I guess that's new information. I wonder if this isn't him kind of like making some sort of political statement to a certain extent. I'm not like the other hockey players. I think you're part of the team also. Yeah, I do absolutely think that that is part of why he phrased it that way, whether it's, you know, conscious on his part or not. It's a very shitty thing to do. It's also sort of making the 
groundwork for that they will become a team, you know, romantically. As, as do other characters in this comic as well. If you are presuming that every year the people who get to live in the house are hockey players, then the fact that she's not a hockey player, she's the manager is maybe, yeah, he's making a sort of conscious, like, political decision to expand the general sense of, like, who's a hockey player, who's a member of the hockey team. Well, it's not just these, like, bros who are on the hockey team. It's also this person. Right, which is also sort of, like, expansion in terms of gender, expansion in terms of, like, who gets to be considered one of the main characters of this comic. Luckily, that will just keep expanding for forever so thanks shitty well so the point that you made about his uh his comic about her being one of the best teammates he's ever had is where do we see this and of course what i would say is nowhere it's not in the comic we actually have not seen her doing anything for the hockey team at all other than concluding a tour of the ice rink at one point I firmly believe she does it. You know, she exudes more confidence in her few minutes on, like, on panel than do most of the hockey team. But yeah, we don't see any of it. And we also don't see any of their interactions, as I noted. I guess this is telling us what we need to know. I mean, I guess it would be nice if this were like the capper on some sort of like plot or installment or something where this felt earned because something had happened and she had done something to prove herself as a teammate, or this was in response to some sort of interaction they had. But nah. Or if Lardo actually hears something. If up to this point in the comic, it seemed as though Lardo had some sort of like angst or any kind of feelings about her role on the hockey team, then this particular installment cementing and like reaffirming her role on the hockey team would be like a really meaningful capper. Oh, too bad that she doesn't ever think any of that, uh, at least where we can see it. All right. So as as you noted, uh, we we both like Shitty and Lardo as a pairing. Like we're not anti Shitty and Lardo. I don't know how popular they are as a pairing. I would say maybe as a pairing in this fandom, they're the kind of pairing that's kind of like a given. It's like in any given Zimbits fic or whatever, or I don't know, I don't know, I haven't read any like polyfrogs or <laughs> whatever. It seems to be kind of like a side note or like a given that in stories that are mainly about Jack and Biddy, like Shitty and Lardo also are together. And of course, canonically, they end up together. But I feel like this has been going on since even before this particular strip that we're reading appeared. I think it's been kind of like a given since Lardo was introduced. Some of those fix do actually develop their relationship in interesting ways. What's frustrating, and here comes the the critique of this comic for this, well, I guess we've been critiquing it up to this point, but here comes like probably the most pointed critique about this comic for this episode. Their dynamic is never actually explored in Check, Please at all. And it's hard to know if the comic 
or the creator of the comic thinks it's subverting something by refusing to engage with like the B pairing of arguably the comic's most visible and present secondary characters. But like, there's so much that could have been done with this particular relationship between these two particular characters. And it never is. So something I will note before I continue just kind of like complaining is that at this point, December 2020, it is known probably to most people who are hanging out on the periphery of Check, Please that Ngozi's follow-up graphic novel to Check, Please that she's currently working on is apparently in, in large part about a woman of color a black girl who has a crush on a much wealthier, like white jock boy at their kind of like prestigious boarding school. And apparently it's about the complexities of being in that situation. So it seems like the kind of dynamic that Lardo and Shitty should have is something that Ngozi is like ending up like making art about. It's probably important to say that like she's not obligated to make art about anything in particular, like whether or not they mirror her own experiences or not. Like, you know, she's free to like opt out of addressing anything she doesn't feel like addressing. But it just feels like this pretty like ripe thing, which is the tension between these two people who are at like socially disparate odds on a like sex, gender, wealth, race spectrum is just like totally left unexamined, especially considering all of this like extra and paratextual stuff about like shitty being mansplaining and like he thinks he's really progressive, but he's actually like kind of obnoxious because he's like a wealthy white dude who's been taught that like that's how he's supposed to interact with the world. I think probably the the thing that's most frustrating is that Lardo Shitty is a pairing to some extent parallels like Jack and Biddy is a pairing. So there could be like a thematic or plot tool to help tell that story inside this pairing itself. And I find it really frustrating that there are so many interesting avenues that this could have gone down and it's just never addressed outside of like a couple one-off comments in like extras tucked away in various places. And the thing is that, again, it wouldn't be so frustrating if Lardo were not this weird, only partially present character. I think what partly makes this so frustrating, again, is that Lardo isn't able to be that present on the rest of the page. Like the rest of the comic does not have Lardo, you know, in every panel making decisions, et cetera, et cetera. So we're left with this weird unexamined tension or the potential tension because of the comments made about Shitty and who he is, right? And so because this dynamic is set up without ever actually being explored, you just end up with this weird like tacit 
approval or or not even approval because who cares about whether the comic like approves lack of acknowledgement or something that this dynamic exists even as the dynamic has been set up which just feels really strange narratively um it's very Chekhov's gun you know except the gun is like mansplaining I guess Shitty is from a really wealthy family and he's, I guess, like a relatively attractive and like suitably masculine, like white dude who ends up going to Harvard Law and it seems as though everything is basically set for him. She is a Vietnamese woman who is from a background that is not as affluent as his is and she is going to become an artist which for a lot of people who aren't born wealthy is like an inherently sort of like vulnerable social position because of various factors that it would be too exhausting to explain now there's some parallels to jack and biddy here i mean Biddy, obviously, like, he's fine. Like, he's doing fine. Like, socially, he's much closer to the top of the totem pole than the bottom. But still, compared to Jack, he's in, like, a relative weak position of social power. So there is a parallel to sort of, like, Lardo and Shitty there that could have actually, like, broken up some interesting issues that would have like deepened both of these relationships but especially the Zimbits relationship which again needs like more help than it's actually getting from the comic you know I don't know like a lot of this comic is about like fitting in and finding your place in a group of people where you didn't expect to fit and what is the point of being gay don't ask that Actually, I'm curious what you would answer that question with, but like, it would be so interesting, wouldn't it, to like, be able to pair these four characters together in like interesting permutations where they would have conversations that would actually like, shed light on what's going on here. Heterosexual relationships are are fairly typical, and I'm not on the whole that interested in seeing art about them, like just being real. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that there aren't like interesting dynamics within those relationships, like even relatively with it, straight women who are in relationships with men because they want to be have a lot of like questions for themselves and just sort of broadly about like what does it mean that this is the way that I'm choosing to live I feel like everything I just said was deeply inarticulate but what I'm getting at basically is that I feel like this is a very 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 juicy topic that the comic just doesn't touch at all and luckily there have been some really remarkable fan works that have although bottom line usually the way they get at it is by like subverting the dynamic or like flipping the dynamic if Ngozi wants to write a romance and not a sociopolitical commentary, like, ugh, more fool she, but even if Ngozi doesn't want to kind of get into the ins and outs of the dynamics that make these relationships potentially difficult, which I understand if you're writing a romance, like that's maybe you don't want to write about that. Don't relate, but I get it. But I still think that Shitty and Lardo at the very least have, you know, other kinds of dynamics in common with Biddy 
and Jack as well. Florida was also a little younger, not as much younger as Biddy is than Jack, but still a little younger. You know, she's she has like different life expectations than Shitty. So they have to navigate a career that Shitty will be pursuing while she's still in college. And then after she and Biddy are both short. You know, that's a parallel right there. So there are things in common that I think, you know, even if you just wanted to show them actually having a conversation about, I don't know, like a a non-serious topic, you could still use their relationship to show some kind of progression or some kind of contrast. Like the fact that Biddy and Jack get together and then, you know, immediately like it's on lock, they're boyfriends and then Shitty and Lardo get together, but it seems a little more nebulous or a little less like labeled. That's something else you could explore if you didn't want to kind of get into the tricky stuff about identity. You could still use them. Oh, and by the way, in romance novels, this is like a classic. The B couple that juxtaposed against the A couple shows something or, or, or highlights something is a Classic trope. So even if you just wanted to borrow from the world of romance without getting into kind of more complex texts, not that romance isn't complex, but you know what I mean? You could. And the lack of interest in using Lardo and Shitty in that way just feels really narratively unbalanced. Like, I don't know why they're here. I still don't know why they're here. Why are they here? I don't know the answer. I mean, I'm delighted by them. I don't want them to go, but I wish they had a reason to be in the comic. You know, what's interesting is that personality-wise, Shitty and Biddy are more like each other and Lardo and Jack are more like each other than the inverse. Yeah, that's true. I don't know what to make of that, but yeah, I mean, Lardo's like pretty quiet and keeps to herself. Shitty is very gregarious and social and outgoing. And in fact, Biddy ends up sort of like taking up the shitty role like for the hockey team. And then Lardo and Jack are sort of like leader types. We will see a couple scenes of Lardo and Biddy hanging out in year three. And we we never saw much of that, but I always wish to see more of it. I always thought their dynamic might be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's too bad they never have like even a brief conversation about anything. Their conversations are Lardo being like, what's up, Bits? And Biddy being like, nothing. And like, that's it. That's the end of the conversation. All of this is to get at what I think is like the big issue with this particular little strip, which is um, what's the point of it? Like, what's the function of this little side comic? And here are my guesses. And they're not mutually exclusive. Number one, it's just a fun little aside. Number two, these are moments that Biddy's not privy to and the comic hasn't yet like been willing to detach from his perspective. So you'd have to do something outside of the main strip to show it but Ngozi still wanted to draw it. Number three, I think you could make the argument that if this is important enough to like show overall, why isn't it part of the main comic? And then I also think maybe something going on here is that Ngozi has been coming back after like a really long, like a six month hiatus that was pretty turbulent for this fandom. And she wanted to provide maybe like a little more content to like welcome people back or like smooth her return over or something like that. I think all of those are potentially true. And I do think there's one other function that this little comic serves, which is the same way that 
that the frog's arrival is always treated with a certain amount of fanfare. Turning of the year is treated with a certain amount of fanfare. Like this comic is really interested in milestones. And I think this acts as like a little milestone. So it's the passing of time. And it's also this like this way to be sentimental about it or something, which the comic often uses milestones to do. And I think the fact that it's a little aside comic is primarily because it's not a milestone that yeah, Biddy has a hand in. So this is a way to get that same sentimental feeling across, but without attaching it to, you know, like what Biddy would necessarily feel sentimental about. Why are there more of these like little side comics? Isn't this a really good way to show character detail or little moments that aren't like plotty? Yes, although apparently I've discovered on doing this podcast, most of the comic is not what you might call plotty. But yeah, I think it's great. I think the reason Ngozi probably doesn't do it is that she's already often running behind on the actual updates. So I don't know how much time she would have for kind of extras of this style, especially because the extras during the first couple years of the comic are a huge part of the comic experience. As I remember, towards getting into years three and four, the extras become much thinner on the ground, or they switched over to Patreon-based blogs. So you not everyone had access to all of them. She was creating a lot of content and felt that the things that were going to go up as part of the comic needed to serve certain narrative purposes. And these little asides don't necessarily always do that. That's my guess. I also think, yeah, I mean, the the extras kind of like shift. I think we've talked about this before, but initially they were like giving a lot of information and like doing a lot of sort of like character and relationship building and like establishing background and kind of like world building. And then gradually over the period of like the first four years of the comic, it seems like they kind of morphed from that into just like fan art for the comic, which is also okay. And some of those drawings are really cool, but yeah, it went from being like weird little vignettes or little kind of like one or two panel like goofy comics about you know a day in the life of these characters and it just kind of turned into like a super polished sketch of Biddy or whatever. They also became significantly less interactive like the extras at first were all you know ask a welly and often in response to prompts of some kind through user interaction and then that dried up too which again is fine it just that was part of the shift. What's interesting is by the time this comic is being posted the twitter i think must have already been locked it was around this time although i don't remember the exact date yeah because you've already sort of like in timeline so not in the content of the comic but like in the timeline of the life of the fandom so to speak you've already in like real time you've already passed the date when Jack and Biddy kissed and got together and like Jack went to Madison because that's in spring summer 2015 and this is being posted in September 2015 so I guess the the Twitter must have either locked or like been locked you know, soon, sooner rather than later. So it seems, it seems 
like that avenue has also kind of closed. Even though she kept tweeting in real time as Biddy for year three, so she's continuing to do it. The point at which she's drawing and the point at which she's tweeting now also have like, you know, at least a six month gap between them. And then why is this comic placed here, like alongside Junior Show? They don't seem to be happening like at the same point in the timeline either. Or is this somehow helping us like interpret Junior Show? Like, what is this doing here? I think that this comic is serving a similar purpose as Ngozi's refrain again and again in the blog post that Jack and shit, oh my God, that Jack and Biddy are getting together. I think this comic is like a reassurance, like, okay, so Lardo got upset last comic, but don't worry, they're still, you know, best friends who are going to get together via gummy bear or whatever. So I think that is kind of what's happening here. That's my, that's my best guess what do you think um i don't know if it's that intentional but i do think that it's like giving a little more information about their particular dynamic despite the things that irritate me about this panel these these panels like i do actually really enjoy their relationship i find it a real difference from jack and biddies and there's something kind of more relaxed about it that i enjoy this is maybe going to sound cruel, but then again, they're like fake. So whatever. I feel like Lardo and Shitty don't need to be as performative about what's going on with them. I feel as though that's understandable, of course, partly because it's like, yeah, you know, like a, like a guy and a gal who are dating is nothing new or interesting so you kind of don't have anything to prove and you don't need to like act out so visibly what it is to be together also i think some of their like reluctance to be public or not wanting to really discuss it may in fact be also like its own kind of performativity lardo's an artist and shitty's a hipster and there's a certain kind of like self-conscious coolness that I think people tend to try to adopt when they shuffle themselves into one of those two roles, you know what I mean? So I definitely think that the silence or the sort of like chill, you know, quality of their relationship is is a result of that self-shuffling. Like, I don't have to talk about this because, you know, we're cool or whatever. You know, I can relate to not wanting to discuss my sex and or romantic life like with anybody because I don't want people to make judgments about me or I don't want people to like make presumptions about me based on that. Yeah. I tend to just like not discuss it up to and including perhaps if there's nothing to discuss, it's just like, I don't want people to make any kind of valuation based on that at all. So I don't know. I can kind of understand shrugging off inquiries about it or whatever. I definitely know that my own sort of typical silence or I don't talk about my like romantic life that often. It's definitely informed by being queer. Do relate to this on an emotional level, but there's also like another layer, which 
I think you could read into for both of those characters and like maybe it's also like related to they don't want people to make assumptions about identity or whatever. Like I think you could make a fanfic about that effectively. I don't think it's in the comic itself. It's also just kind of a nice break. Like I do think that Biddy is trying, oh my gosh, very hard all the time. Like his performativity of, is one of almost like frenetic energy. And there's something kind of more uh, relaxing in some ways about Shitty and Lardo's just lack of that. When did I start sleeping together? Oh, geez, I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? I don't know. It's hard to say. Like, it doesn't seem like I know this is like based on nothing, but in this particular little comic, it doesn't seem like they're sleeping together. It seems like two people who were like fucking wouldn't necessarily have this kind of interaction. But then they're obviously sleeping together like, you know, by the start of year three. I could see this conversation happening like they have slept together but they're not yet in whatever their ill-defined relationship is maybe it does not feel like a conversation necessarily between two people who are in a relationship question mark whatever that means oh god i have no idea ask biddy he's got a lot of opinions about it i'm sure oh yeah he does well he'll share some of them with us as we start on your three but um yeah, any any final thoughts about Shitty's Dibs? I had a great time thinking about Albany's gummy bears. So thanks. I'm excited. I'm going to look for them somewhere. I have a lot of opinions about gummy candy because I need to eat it for medical reasons. <laughs> Hit me up for my gum pinions. And uh... <laughs> I actually love gummy candy. Okay, so here's a tragedy of my life is that I'm a vegetarian. I'm a lifelong vegetarian. I was raised vegetarian but no one told me that gelatin wasn't vegetarian until I had already developed a like intense love of gummy candy so there are vegetarian gummy candies that exist but they are not the same and sometimes I do eat gummy candy even though I'm a vegetarian so anyway I'm very excited for this I'm very excited for this Albany situation here's where I'll leave off on this topic my favorite gummy candy of all time at one point was Percy Piglets. Oh, I don't, I actually don't know what the piglets are, but Percy Percy pigs are these sort of like pink chewy candies that look like pigs. They're delicious. Yeah, so Percy Piglets are just like a smaller version. They're little pig heads and some of them are kind of like opaque and some of them are more like clear-ish but yeah they're part of the larger percy percy pig line of gummy candies from the um british grocery store marks and spencer simply food which i have to tell you is probably like a special interest of mine (laughs) Percy Piglets were my favorite gummy candy, and I thought they were so delicious. They were the most, like, luscious, like, they changed it so they made them all vegetarian. And they're not as good. 
I am so sorry for your loss of Percy Piglet. That's a rough listen, one. Listen, Percy Piglet has a friend named Colin Caterpillar, and he has a whole barnyard of friends. Does that have anything to do with the Caterpillar cake I saw when I was looking at the Marks and Spencer online store with you? Yes, you're correct. That's accurate. <laughs> okay. Oh, God, I forgot that I made you, like, I shared my screen and showed you all the Marks and Spencer products. I was having a great time. I was living vicariously through all this food I couldn't eat. Did you know I started a newsletter about like going to the British grocery store? No, wait, I want to read it. Okay, okay, you can subscribe. <laughs> um, everything about that is delightful. I routinely think about like, I used to live in France and there are just different candies available and there were these little blue sharks and the bottom was white and opaque and the top was blue clear gelatin like clear you know and i think about those at least once a month i'm like oh man i could really go for some sharks oh they have those here like i don't know where you've been shopping for gummies that's like a standard like gummy in the gummy bins well here's the thing is that i currently live in a place where I don't know where anything is. And also there's a pandemic on. So, you know, and I had a broken leg for the first like year I lived here. So it was, I just haven't explored enough, clearly. We'll get, you are- we'll get, you, we'll get you some sharks, tomato. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I'm also very excited about these, these pink bears that are coming my way. Anyway, all right. What are we doing here? What this, I don't have anything left to say about Shitty and Lardo, except that like I'm, I, I can imagine their relationship working out much better than Jackson Biddy. So, you know, take that with the grain of salt you need to, whatever. Well, I've written fanfic about it if you want to know what I think. Next time, yeah, we'll be really looking good. at 2.12 post one, roadie. So we're going on the road. Uh, I'm Secret, and you can find me on Camillar, C-A-M-I-L-L-I-A-R at Tumblr, or... S-K-R-T-O-M-G at Tumblr or familiar on the AO3. And you can find me at tomatorights.tumblr.com or at tomato underscore greens on AO3. And you can find our podcast at checkdisplease.tumblr.com or on Podbean or on Spotify where our own podcast was the podcast I listened to most on my... 2020 wrapped. Thank you very much. That's it. What else do we say at the end of an episode? I guess that's all I got. Yeah, I think at this point we usually say bye. Uh, we'll see you next time when we when we hit the road to talk about the biggest, most contentious issue in Check Please history. <laughs> um, okay, see you then. Goodbye. All right, bye. Check This Pleased is written, recorded, and produced by Secret and Tomato. Our theme music is by Tomato, and our art is by Nahangan. That was very legit.